Welcome to episode 168 of X-Lapsed, where, uh, hey, we're going to our uh, second favorite place here, Off the Beaten Path. We're going to be talking about an issue of Champions today, and uh, usually when we discuss something that is Off the Beaten Path, I uh, will regale you with a story of how, uh, what my fandom was of this particular franchise or title, and uh, for the Champions, I don't got none of that. Um, now, Champions, uh, going back to, I want to say, the mid-70s, um, it's one of those books that just doesn't really show up uh, in my neck of the woods for a price that I'm willing to pay for it. And, I mean, I've, I've talked before about my, you know, insane fines and stuff, uh, you know, paying eight cents for the first appearance of Gambit, eight cents for the first appearance of Jubilee, a dollar for Days of Future Past. Uh, I mean, I've had some fantastic fines. But Champions is just uh, not one of those books that really turns up very often for me. Um, And it's one of those that I really wanted to check out since, you know, Angel and Iceman were a part of this team. uh, It seemed like a really interesting part of the the missing years, right? Uh, The reprint, or actually, I believe, if this is the mid-70s, then uh, Giant Size will have just came out or is just about to come out, so uh, I guess this might be running concurrently with the all-new, all-different X-Men here. But suffice it to say, this is one that's interested me because it's got Angel and Iceman in it, and uh, I'm an ex-completionist, so uh, it's one of those titles I always try to keep an eye out for, but it's evaded, or eluded me, I should say, uh, my entire collecting career. So what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about the new champions here. This is actually Volume 4. And this is all spinning out of a story called Outlawed. Now, if you're anything like me, you have no idea what this is all about. So uh, let's try to navigate this together here. I tried pulling up some uh, resources on the uh, Intrigue Net to see if I could uh, help us uh, navigate. Now, in Outlawed, uh, Indiana Senator Jeffrey Patrick foments some anti-teen superhero feelings after Amadeus Cho, who is apparently now going by the codename Braun, went on a rampage through New York City. Now, Patrick suggests that this wasn't the first time the citizens were in peril due to the actions of a young hero, and I'm not sure if this is a callback to the New Warriors boner that kicked off Civil War, but probably. Later, Kamala Khan's high school, Cole's Academic, is attacked by Roxxon, and a dragon from the War of the Realms event? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Viv Vision, who's a character I don't think I've ever met, is affected during this battle, and I guess she turns on her champion's teammates. That might be a gross oversimplification, but uh, that's what I'm getting from this. Now, the champions manage to stop the dragon and Viv. 
However, the high school is destroyed in the process. From here, the Underage Superhero Wet Welfare Act is passed, and all heroes under the age of 21 are outlawed. It's being called Kamala's Law, in honor of Kamala Khan, who was left comatose after the Coles disaster. And uh, it might go without saying that those who named it didn't know that she's actually Miss Marvel. Yet another Marvel acronym outfit is put together. This one's called Cradle. Get it? Uh, Cradle stands for Child Hero Reconnaissance and Disruption Law Enforcement. This crew is made up of Justice, Dum Dum Duggan, Speedball, Time Slip, and then two jokers I've never heard of called uh, Carolina Washington and Jacob O. I'm guessing that they probably spend a lot of their time in uh, dimly lit monitor-filled rooms. Now, uh, perhaps it's worth noting that this is the storyline that was to introduce that... uh, Weird, bordering on unfortunate New Warriors team? Uh, consisting of such luminary characters as Snowflake and uh, Safe Space, among others. Which, I may be mistaken, but I don't think it ever actually saw the light of day due to the uh, backlash it received online. Now, I don't have much of an opinion on that take of the New Warriors. I've been part of this fandom long enough to know that not everything is going to be for me. And this doesn't look like it would have been for me. The only comment I made at the time was, like, something along the lines of, like, in the hours since this announcement was made, 600 more comic shops closed their doors forever. I, call me a cynic, I just don't see there being much of an audience for this. Maybe that's just me. So, let's wrap up the pre-ramble here. The young heroes are on the run. You dig? That's what it is. Now, before we get into Champions number 4, which is the reason we've uh, assembled today, we're going to take a look at... Champions number three. That's out of February 2021 cover date and a legacy number of 40. Here it's revealed that a scared Viv Vision informed on the champions to Cradle. The issue ends with Cyclops and Dust arriving to declare that, by order of the sovereign nation of Krakoa, that the champions have been granted asylum. So basically, you know, telling Cradle to back off a bit lest a whole slew of mutants rain down upon you. And yes, I dropped $4 on this issue just for that one page. That brings us to the reason we're here today. Champions, Volume 4, Number 4. April 2021, cover date, Legacy Number 41. Written by Eve L. Ewing. I don't think there's any relation there. Um, I I might have to check her Twitter to see if I'm blocked by her, I don't know. Art by Bob Quinn, who we're going to be seeing on... Way of X, I believe, coming up very soon. Colors, Federico Blee. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Edits, Martin Byro, Alana Smith, and Sobolski. Cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale February 17 of 2021. Now, the cover has the uh, Champions and Cyclops, and it says, On the Run with the X-Men. So I guess nobody told anyone outside the X-Office that there's no such thing as the X-Men right now, huh? Hell, I'm pretty sure most of the creators in the X-Office weren't aware until Cyclops flat-out said it during the Festival of Swords. So, let's open this thing up. We open with... Oh, come on. It's basically the same exact panel I spent $4 for to get out of issue 3. Alright. So, yeah, Cyclops claims to grant his young friends asylum. Okay, we should probably talk about that too, shouldn't we? Okay. Marvel relaunched the Champions with a second volume in 2016. And believe it or not, there's been two subsequent Champions number one since then. Oh, what am I saying? Of course you believe it, it's Marvel. 
Now, this is following Civil War II, The Worsening, and uh, this is where some of the younger members of the Avengers, Ms. Marvel, Miles Morales, and Kid Nova, because, yeah, everybody's an Avenger, I think this was the all-new, all-different Avengers, which Marvel would later like tie into their main Avengers legacy numbering via voodoo math. Anyway, after CW2, the younglings broke out on their own. They'd be joined by Amadeus Cho, Viv Vision, and the time-displaced Team Cyclops. Now, they'd wind up doing something really cool, I guess, and wind up becoming social media sensations because... It's a nearly current-year Marvel comic, and that's all kids are good for. Now, I wanted to follow this series only because Cyclops was a part of the team, just like I wanted the first run because Angel and Iceman were there. Unfortunately, this volume of Champions was being written by Mark Wade, who, I'm pretty sure I've said this before, he was one of my favorites growing up, but now everything he writes feels so spiteful and angry that I just can't enjoy it. So yeah, I, I didn't. So... Young Cyclops was part of this team, yes? He would ultimately be sent back to the past during the Extermination miniseries, which we discussed here at length as part of the Ex-Lapsination series available in the archives. Now, once back, Young Cyclops would lose his memories of his stay in the present until a nebulous time in which a time loop closed when all of his memories would come flooding back. You still with me? Now, that is to say, adult Cyclops now has all of the Cyclopsian memories here, including his days as a time-displaced teen and as a member of the Champions. So yeah, adult Cyclops is here to bail out his friends from the time he was a a teenage superhero time-displaced... You get it, right? Alright, okay, hopefully that's all the exposition we're going to need here for now. So yeah, Cyclops is here. He's got Dust and Pixie with him. Uh, the latter of whom casts one of her huggeth, shuggeth, bluggeth, quuggeth uh, spells to whisk them all away. They arrive at Riri Williams' lab so that the champions can grab some supplies and scrub up a bit because they stink. They thank Scott for the assist and lament the fact that they don't know who keeps tattling out their location. But Scott knows, and at Dust's insistence, he shares this information with his old pals. He tells them it's Viv Vision who's a rat. Now, the team is shocked and in disbelief, all except Riri, who is simply surprised to learn that Viv is still alive. Riri then posits that Viv might just be malfunctioning. Nova suggests that maybe she, Viv that is, feels guilty for what went down at Cole's High and is doing what she thinks is right. Miles reminds everyone that, hey, you know, if Viv really is on to us, then uh, probably not safe here at Riri's lab. And so Nova's all jazzed to head off to Krakoa where they'll be protected. To which Cyclops is all, well, about that. It was a bluff, you see. He can't actually get them onto Krakoa. And I figure it's just too bad this isn't the 1990s, because chances are most of these kids would already be mutants anyway. Now the kids are ticked that Psych lied, to which he says he only did it to buy them enough time to evade capture. And even doing that much was a great risk. Because, I mean, if the professor found out, I doubt he'd be all that pleased. Turns out that Scott actually did go to the Quiet Council about this. Well, I'm, I'm assuming it was the Quiet Council. It doesn't specify who he went to here, but uh, they turned him down flat. So Scott can't take him to Krakoa, but there is a place where he can take them. But first, let's shift scenes to, oh boy, a boardroom. Now it feels like a real current-year Marvel comic. Here, Senator Patrick is 
given a boring sit rep by boring people. We learn that people over the age of 40, like probably 90% of the people buying this comic book, are in favor of Kamala's Law, outlawing teen heroes. People under 40, which likely includes nobody paying actual folding money for this book, are split. Now, he clicks his pen a lot and shouts some spoo about capturing hearts and minds, which is comics politics shorthand for, this is a dude we don't like. Now, what it all comes down to is that uh, the champions are still on the run, and now they're working with the mutants, which may ultimately threaten trade agreements the United States has in place with Krakoa. Enough of them, let's go back to the heroes, because Cyclops has brought them to the Marauder. Ms. Marvel instantly fangirls out upon seeing Shadowcat, to which she's told to call her Kate. Well, actually strike that. She's told to call her Captain Kate. Now, Storm tells the kids to get some rest. Cyclops changes into his old champion's costume, and he looks like a geek. Oh, boy, I'm... I'm not sure why he even bothered to change costumes, since this is the last we're going to see of him. He screws off back to Krakoa, leaving the tots with the Marauders. And again, he looked like a geek. Now we jump to the next morning. Kamala didn't get much sleep. She was busy on social media all night. In fairness to her, she wasn't scrolling for, like, new haircuts or pictures of animals doing funny things. She was just following all the Kamala's Law stuff. Nova gets her to leave her cabin for some breakfast. Outside on the deck, the Marauders get a distress call from a nearby scientific vessel. Because, I mean, as social media has taught us, we all effing love science. So, uh, science, 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 science. This science vessel is currently under attack from Atuma. He's a boring Atlantean from boring Atlantis. Atuma claims that this vessel is infringing on his territories. The champions swing into action, saving the people on board while the marauders hold off Atuma. Now, it turns out that this ship is conducting seismic surveys, which we're being led to believe isn't a good thing. I tell you, I've got a couple of science degrees, just not in seismic whatever the hell. So I'll just take Storm and Bishop's word for it. Now, they lambast the ship captain for showing no deference nor respect for the sea, And the man, um, he apologizes, and he promises to make some changes to his equipment. Okay, then. Uh, Call me Captain Kate, then tells Atuma to go F off, and he does because we're running out of pages. Kamala asks the Marauders how they knew which side they should be on, since I guess this was apparently a bit morally nebulous, I guess? I don't know. Miles is impressed that the X-Men are helping out with human problems. Uh, nobody corrects him here and says, hey, there is no X-Men because the wider Marvel Universe doesn't actually care about what's going on in our Krakoan corner of the world. Call Me Captain Kate tells them that sometimes it's hard to tell who the good guys are and the bad guys are. And sometimes they even mistake one for the other. Bishop agrees, saying, hey, you know, we pick a, ch- we pick a side and if we're wrong, we're wrong. Now this inspires Kamala to go have breakfast but also then to go home and stop running and go face the music, so that's cool. Scene shift to Kansas, where Viv Vision is asked by an older woman named Cora if she wants breakfast, because it must be breakfast time all over the world, because I don't know where the Marauder is. I don't think they're in Kansas, though. Uh, Viv unloads on her with all of her worries, how she snitched and put her friends in danger. She says that while her friends are breaking the law, they're only doing so to do good things. To which Cora busts out an old photo album to show Viv a picture of her and several of her friends being hassled during the civil rights era for breaking the law, 
to do good things. Akora is an older black woman, by the way. This photo has her and her friend sitting at, I'm going to assume, a whites-only counter at a diner. Cora tells Viv to get back out there and help her fellow champions, and Viv is shocked that Cora knows her identity. And so Cora's like, hey, duh, you're a floating, flying electric girl. We don't see very many of them often. We wrap up the issue with the rest of the champions posing dramatically as they head home. That's it for Champions. Next episode, we're talking about New Mutants number 16. But now let's talk about some champions here. What do you all think about that? I don't know how familiar many of you are with this volume. I know uh, this is the first I'm I'm reading of it, so uh, I don't see myself sticking with this title. But I didn't dislike it. Um, it certainly wasn't the uh, like current year cringe I kind of expected it to be. Uh, plus, I got to learn myself a whole lot about Kamala's Law and whatnot, which... I figure with the Marvel's track record for how, uh, you know, these events and crossovers hold up will be maybe a trivia answer before long. (laughs) I can't see it being uh, that huge a deal, but all in all, I I enjoyed this. It's uh, even making me curious to check out uh, those Mark Waid issues that I had avoided just to see how Cyclops or young Cyclops interacts with uh, these, uh, these current day teens, right? Um... I didn't know, because I hadn't read Extermination, I didn't know that the memories had uh, come full circle. You know, I didn't know that the original five had all their memories as, you know, time-displaced teens. So I took it to mean that the, actually, going into Extermination, I was led to believe, because I had stopped reading all new X-Men with uh, the Dennis Hopeless volume, which I want to say ended with uh, the revelation that the time-displaced teens were from a different dimension altogether. Like, they went back to the past and they were already... The five of them were already there. So the, Which was to say, hey, these are totally different kids here. They changed it back. Or if they ever changed it in the first place, that might have just been a red herring. But knowing what we know now and how uh, Cyclops does have these memories of the, these friendships and these adventures, I'm almost tempted to go back and check out the Wade stuff. It was cool to see the Marauders uh, doing something to affect change here, uh, just in their own actions here, finding themselves inspiring the younger generation, not even knowing it, right? They didn't even realize what they were doing when they were doing it. They were just taking care of business as they would usually take care of business, not really paying much mind to how a uh, an outsider might view that and how an outsider may ultimately become uh, inspired by their behavior and by the way that they react to the, you know, the nebulous nature of good and evil sometimes, or just good, or right and wrong, or right and less right. I don't know what we're doing. Like I said, I don't understand seismic science, so I don't know exactly what these poor, you know, boating fellows were doing when Atuma came and tried to capsize them, or did, I guess, effectively capsize them. What I'm trying to say is, it was nice to see the Marauders do something that's going to uh, send ripples through the wider Marvel Universe while not really embedding them in the wider Marvel Universe. We're still in our own little fiefdom here, our own little corner, and that's... You guys know me, that's the way I like it. But uh, the characters here, I didn't know what to expect going in, but I liked them. They were all very likable. Uh, they were all... Uh, they all felt, like, genuine. They all felt real. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the Viv Vision and Korra scene here because I think this was a brilliant way to show, 
to both validate and, in a way, both validate and also just show how uh, wrong-headed the Kamala's Law uh, precedent is here in comparing it to the civil rights era here. So Viv Vision is torn, right? She wants to do what she feels is right, but she also wants to do what's legally right. And this is, of course, I don't know much about these characters here. I'm just giving you what I've got out of this one issue. And in comparing, yeah, because she even says, you know, they're breaking the law, but they're doing it for a good reason. They're doing it to do good. To which Cora showing her the image from the civil rights era here, same thing here. They were technically breaking the law, but I don't think there's any of us who can argue that they, uh, you know, weren't doing it for the right reasons because they were, right? It shows how unjust a law can be, how small-minded a law can be. And I really dig the way they use this as a comparison here. And, and I mean, this is like a sticky sort of subject here because we are, we're mixing real-world stuff with the fantastical Marvel Universe, which is always kind of a hard thing to do because it's hard to reconcile that the world would be the same in a world full of superheroes, right? Then again, with the time, the sliding time scale, it could be argued that, uh, you know, the heroes didn't arrive until, I mean, post 9-11 at this point, right? I mean, oof, I mean, where did my life go? What I'm trying to say here, and I'm taking the scenic route to do so, is that uh, I appreciated the comparison here, and uh, I think it uh, was a really smart way to, uh, to just make a point, you know, and I, I, I liked it. Let's talk about the art here, because uh, this is an artist we're going to be seeing a lot of, hopefully, in the future. Here, I don't know uh, I don't know how long Way of X will go, but uh, let's assume that we're in it for the long haul here. Uh, but uh, Bob Quinn will be our artist on it. And uh, outside of making Cyclops look like a, like a chuckle-headed geek in his costume, in his old champion's costume, I have absolutely no complaints here. I thought this was a, a beautiful book, so... I'm looking forward to seeing more of this work in Way of X. But that's all I got to say about this issue of Champions. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this book. If it's a book you're following, if it's a book that uh, you're just suffering through because it's going to be on the show, or if uh, I'm telling you all about it for the first time, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And speaking of letting me know your thoughts here, let's hop into the mailbag. We got a couple of letters today. We're going to start with one from Jesse, and it's kind of a state of the X books here. He says, this won't fill the mailbag, but it's my thought on how the X-Books are right now and just some other stuff to fill up time. I feel like the books and their quality have improved since X of Tens, and I'm hoping for the continual improvement. I was not enjoying Wolverine or X-Force, but am now looking forward to them. New Mutants is on the rise, and I'm loving the Vault stuff over in X-Men. Hellions, Cable, and X-Factor have kept their status as the best books in the line, and even though I'm not a fan of Marauders, I'm not put off by it. Excalibur is a book. <laughs> I feel like I'm missing something else here. I think you got them all. I think you got them all here, but uh, I agree that uh, the Reign of X uh, launch was a lot stronger than the Dawn of X one, and uh, I don't know if it's just so new to us, uh, or the fact that it's not going to go quite as long as the Dawn of X, assuming that the Hellfire Gala is the, I don't know if it will be the end of the Reign of X. Um, it might just be, you know, Act 2 of uh, the Reign of X act, I suppose. But everything feels like it's moving toward that, where, I mean, before we had 
a whole lot of dead space, it felt like. Plus, we had the pandemic, which is, you know, nobody at Marvel's fault, of course. But it does feel like the Dawn of X stuff was really, really stretched out to the point where the seams really showed. And we realized that uh, with the amount of answers they were willing to give us at the time, which wasn't very many, and it still kind of isn't, but with the amount of information they were willing to give, uh, it just wasn't a whole heck of a lot of story. Which is why your favorite, Excalibur, uh, spent all that time, you know, flitting around other world, I guess. But uh, I definitely agree here. Um, I, I would, I, I am more of a fan of Marauders than you are. But so I would definitely put that in the uh, probably Cable and X Factor tier with Hellions way, way, way on the top, of course. I haven't gotten to the Vault stuff in X-Men yet. That'll be in a few episodes. I'll be starting that up. And uh, like you said, Wolverine and X-Force were spectacularly weak uh, in the Dawn of X era and now starting to come into their own. So it's uh, good days ahead, I think. Now Jesse continues, I'm getting a real kick out of X-Men Legends. I'm trying to figure out if this is continuity for 616 or not. I mean, they are rewriting things and adding a fourth Summers brother. Maybe not, and it will change with issue two. Wait and see, I guess. From everything I've heard that, that this is real 616 continuity here. I heard people suggest that maybe it's in one of Mora's other lives, but I think uh, that might be muddying the waters a little bit too much for what may be coming down the pike for us very, very shortly. Or, uh, I guess, at least into the summer, I suppose. Oh, wait, that, that tells me right there that the Reign of X isn't ending because we have the Reign of X bloat during the summer, so... I guess disregard everything I just said. But um, from what I know, or from what I've heard, I should say, because I don't know anything, I haven't even read X-Men Legends just yet, but uh, this is in the 616, and uh, I was told, I had a little bit of it spoiled for me, I don't want to spoil it for people, but the continuity implant was done in such a way where it really shouldn't affect anything moving forward, but we have seen Adam X in X-Factor in Mojo World, so your guess is as good as mine. Now, Jesse continues. On the, on the Facebook group, a Summers family tree was recently posted. They put Adam X on there and clones galore, but, everyone is, but has everyone forgotten that Alex has or had a daughter and was married to the Wasp? What? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, Jesse continues. This is the second child that Alex has lost. Sure, Scotty in the Mutant X universe was not his direct child, but he was a better father to him than his actual Alex father. But just the flat-out ignorance of forgetting Katie existed and that Janet was Alex's wife in a chart that, ex- that includes Emma Frost and Ruby Summers from an alternate timeline? Not cool, Marvel. Not cool. I don't remember any of that. Oh, boy. Was this a... Uh... I gotta assume that this was like an Uncanny Avengers, maybe? Because I know Alex was uh, the leader of the, what, the Unity Squad? Is that what they called Uncanny Avengers? Post-AVX uh, or something like that? I know I've got a bunch of those issues. I think I have all those issues. I just haven't really read much of it. I read the uh, the bits with, uh, like, Banshee, Sentry, uh, Grim Reaper, and uh, I think Dak and Dakin uh, coming back as... Like these weird apocalypses horsemen But I don't remember Alex being married And I sure don't remember him having a kid So yeah, uh, thank you for pointing that out Because I would have never I would have never seen the error in that uh, In that infographic with uh, Adam X on it That's pretty wild stuff 
Uh, Jesse continues, You gave Runaways a try on the show, and I have to say that this entire run of Runaways has been really good. It's more lighthearted than Volume 1 that I also really enjoyed, and the art for the earlier issues was astounding. I would recommend this book to anyone of any age. And, uh, you know, I was very, very surprised by the quality of Runaways there. I I think I joked when... uh, I think we were covering the solicits for... I think Runaways 36, where it's just a black cover, and it's like, oh, we can't tell you anything about this. This is going to be the best comic of the year. And it's like, there are only like five people out there with this book on their radar. So is this the smartest thing to do? And I kind of disregarded it and uh, without reading it first and uh, reading the one issue that we have so far. We got two more on the way. I was uh, quite a fan of it. Couldn't be more surprised. Uh, I really wasn't expecting to like it, but... Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, you know, kind of like this issue of Champions. Uh, didn't really have much thought going into it, but came out a net positive. Uh, Jesse continues, You've mentioned that you really don't watch movies, but have you seen any of the X-Men movies? And if so, what are your thoughts? No, I have not. I have not seen any of the X-Men movies. I saw a trailer or a clip. Um, this is back in, what, 99 or so, where I only had one friend who had high-speed internet. You know, because we were still on dial-up. Everybody was on dial-up, basically. But I had one friend who was on broadband or uh, high-speed cable internet. And so I remember I dropped him off. I worked I worked uh, overnights, uh, grave shift. And uh, I dropped him off at home one morning. And he told me that, the, uh, that he, he found some clips of this X-Men movie. And he knew I was a comic fan. And he asked me if I wanted to see him. I was like, okay, sure. And I was more interested in seeing the high-speed internet than the actual X-Men thing. But he showed me a clip where, uh, and I, I, I'm guessing this was after the movie came out, because this is a very random clip, but uh, Cyclops didn't know if Wolverine was the real Wolverine, and because uh, Mystique, I guess, was uh, you know doing some morphing hoodoo, and he asked Wolverine to prove it was him, and Wolverine just says, you're a dick. And I was like, oh, I don't need to watch this. <laughs> I really don't need to watch this. It really just turned me off uh, from the entire thing here. That might have been the one thing that made me never want to watch a Marvel movie. And it was right there in that stupid, stupid line. Now, as a matter of fact, as far as X-Men media is concerned here, I'm trying to figure out a way, and I, I might have mentioned this before, to do some sort of like a watching party with uh, with our little group. Uh, I wanted to do uh, Pride of the X-Lapsed, covering Pride of the X-Men. Because that's something that I think I should see, and I've never seen it. And it was something that you heard so much about growing up. It would There'd be ads for it in the comics. They'd talk about it in Wizard. And I'd never seen it. I've seen plenty of the X-Men animated series, but I never saw Pride of the X-Men. So maybe one of these days we'll do a Pride of the X-Lapsed little watch-along party thing. But I'll try to figure out how to do that, and I'll, I'll keep everyone apprised here. Now, Jesse wraps up with, Hopes this, Hope this finds you well, and until Xavier is not a jerk anymore, make mine X-Lapsed. Well, I think we're going to be stuck together for a while, because I don't see Professor Xavier ever not being a jerk. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your State of the Union here. I, I love posts like this because... It really gives us an opportunity to reflect on a lot of the stuff we've been covering here. It's uh, very, very appreciated. So thank you so much, Jesse. Uh, Next up, Evan talking about Generation X Volume 2, Number 5. 
Now, you might be thinking, if you're new to the show, Generation X, Volume 2, what does that have to do with Krakoa? To which I would answer, nothing. Nothing. It has nothing at all to do with Krakoa, but it helps me break up the monotony in a little bit, and uh, every Sunday I cover an, an issue of something random, basically. Right now, we're in the middle of Generation X lapsed, so we're taking a look at the Marvel Legacy era Generation X comic, which was one of the books that made me run for the hills back in... 2017 or so But we're back now and we're learning a lot about it Now Evan says I enjoyed the spotlight on iBoy Featuring a foe and challenge definitely on his level Good point about them not making him too powerful He improved and got a little more comfortable in his own skin Without becoming a big gun, so to speak And yeah, this was a, this was a decent issue here um, iBoy is a character I don't know a whole heck of a lot about but, uh, you know, seeing a character like that, I start to get those Doug Ramsey vibes, right? He's, like, got a really, really, really useful power, just not on the battlefield, right? And usually what uh, the X-Books do with those characters is find a way to make them, like, just phenomenally powerful, right? They have to overcompensate for their lack of mutant ability with another, another ability. So they're just as good as, you know, a Wolverine on the battlefield, but they also have this really really cool other power, this ancillary power. Here, iBoy, he fights the Rat King, a guy who controls vermin in Central Park to steal wallets. Not a huge threat, not onslaught, not apocalypse, but uh, the Rat King, which I think is perfect, you know? They have iBoy take out the Rat King, a nobody. But, as Evan points out here, it made iBoy comfortable. It made him feel accomplished. And a very, very, very good way to do it. Evan continues. I actually took Jubilee's mentoring of iBoy a little differently than you. When she told him to focus on more than his classmates, I assumed that meant Trevor was just concentrating on the people he was most comfortable with. Maybe missing the forest for the trees in a way. Maybe I took it the wrong way, but I thought she was putting pressure on him so he wouldn't be complacent or afraid... And maybe the next time he faces a threat like M-Plate, he'll be able to do more than throw a shoe. <laughs> and uh, Evan's not exaggerating there. Uh, when faced with uh, M, as in, you know, Monet as M-Plate, he threw a shoe at her. That was, uh, that was his uh, big battle uh, move there. But, you know, as you mentioned this here, I think you might be right. Maybe it could have been explained better, or maybe I was just looking for something to nitpick. That's always a possibility. I just thought that... If the rules of the game were to check everybody in the student body, then maybe we should have known that before uh, before poor Trevor popped a vessel, right? But uh, I think you're probably you're probably right there, and I was just being a little too nitpicky. But uh, thank you so much for both following along with Generation X Volume Two and uh, writing into chat about it. It really, really means a lot to me. Now that'll do it for the mailbag. But as we have had for the past several episodes, we've got election news. We are down to two, because we just found out that the good bros, Sunspot and Cannonball, are out of the running. So, we're down to the one I voted for, Banshee, and the one it seems the rest of the internet voted for, Polaris. So, I guess we'll find out, uh, you know, I don't want to find out before the issue comes out, but I'm guessing we're probably going to. But, uh, that's the news, and that's all I got. Now, if you'd like to write in and chat me up about anything you want, including X-Men news that we can discuss here on the show, please feel free to do so. You could find me at Ace Comics on Twitter, or you could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. 
You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. There's also xlapse.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. I've mentioned our little Facebook group. We're having some fun conversations in there. We would love you to come join us. We're almost at 50 members. That is 90s X-Men on Facebook, where uh, I'm currently poking a little fun at myself for spending $4 on one page in Strange Academy number 5. And if you're following the show, you know the page that I'm talking about. Um, There's also an Instagram. I don't know how to use it. I had an Instagram for Chris's on Infinite Earths, but I damned if I can get back into it. I haven't been in it in several months. But there is an Instagram for the show. It's... 90s X-Men. You can find it right there. I don't think there's anything there yet. Hopefully soon there'll be things there, and hopefully there'll be uh, people who want to see it. So uh, if you're there, hit me up, and I'll, I'll hit you back. <laughs> and finally, uh, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. You could find the channel anywhere they aggregate noise. That's where we are. But that'll do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing a little bit of your day with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.